Hello everyone, it's the Muley Brigade here on Super Bowl Sunday, but hunting is life. And I'm here with Finn. How's it going folks? And Brom. What's up? And as always, I'm Griff. Today, we're going to get into what it takes to prepare for a successful hunt. And with that, all of the subtopics of such. Yeah, so we're going to talk about hunt prep, e-scouting, boots on ground scouting, weapons, gear, pack list, and actual out-in-the-field scouting. So we'll start, you know, where we're deciding to hunt. First thing we do is our, we research tags. Yeah, so in the research, first thing you need to decide is <clears throat> what you want to hunt, what state you want to hunt, and then you can go from there. Once you decide what state you're going to hunt, and the animals you want to pursue in that state, you can go onto their websites. And first and foremost, I think we have to look into the draw when the draw ends, so that you know you have a certain amount of time to research. But by this day, let's just say April 2nd, you have to have all your tags in, and it would be who of you to look and see how their system works online, just so when you go online, you don't you know fall in any traps. You can just go on there. Put your tags into the website. Uh, sign up if you have to for a lot of non, non-resident hunters. It's going to be a little different application than your home state. So just make sure most of the time they'll let you sign up early. So sign up early, get your uh, wildlife management number or whatever wild ID they give you and have that for Colorado. For Colorado, it's specifically a CID number, which is your Colorado identification number. I had to do that. You can simply just go on to the website and put all your information in and set that up before you ever go to even put in for a tag. So after that, once you decide what you want to hunt, you would uh, look at your season dates. Just look at the season dates of the areas that you're thinking you want to hunt. Make sure they're not colliding with the states or the hunt dates for the state that you live in. That way you'll have equal opportunity and be able to kind of schedule your hunts out. That way you don't have any uh, interfering with each other or you can uh, go to one state, hunt for a week, and then know you'll have enough time to come back to your home state and hunt uh, however long their season is. Yeah, I think the hardest part for us right now is number crunching and making sure that we can do all the hunts we need to do. And when I say number crunching, I'm talking about the days we need to take off, where we need to be, when we need to be there, dates of the hunts, blah, 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 so that it all fits into a schedule and we can fill those tags. Yeah, yeah there's a, a number of tags we want that necessarily don't really fit into our schedule, so we've had to deal with that. Uh, another thing is, you know, comparing the, uh, pretty much just the opportunity in that area with all the statistics. Yeah. It's always a interesting process when we first start doing it. Things change all the time. Uh, different situations arise. We find different tags we want. And it takes a while for us to make our decision completely on that. And we look at all possibilities before we do so. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing you're going to find in most Western hunting. Uh, out on the East Coast, you know, some southern states like Texas and stuff, their seasons can run for months. 
most of the time, or even even a month. But on the out here in the West, most of our mule deer seasons are two weeks, sometimes just a week. Like Colorado's is nine days. Yeah. So you have to take into account if you're gonna try to go on an antelope hunt or an elk hunt or something in Wyoming, and that's only a week long, and it interferes right with the time you're gonna go mule deer hunting in Colorado you're going to have to pick one of those hunts. And that's what we're falling into is a lot of the, like in Wyoming, for instance, we could either go deer hunting or antelope hunting Not for bucks because their seasons are only two weeks and they're really close to Colorado deer season. So this year we just, we decided our best plan of action is do the buck antelope hunt in Wyoming for a week, get a point for deer and then pursue deer next year. Yeah, that that was a interesting dilemma. And the only way we solved that was by flipping a coin three times. Yeah, we also, for some reason, I couldn't get a deer point. And we had somebody who didn't get an antelope point. Yeah, so it happens. It was no clear. Yeah. So, that being said, we talked about how we research our tags and decide on that. Now, before we go forward, I want to let everybody know the way we are going to describe to you today is through our elk hunt and our elk preparation. Yeah, a little. Well, as far as our elk hunt, we do an over-the-counter tag for Colorado. So when we're talking about the draw odds and stuff like that, we're going to be talking about actually more of our deer hunting and antelope hunting and that aspect just because we do have a over-the-counter tag for elk. And that's the way we chose to pursue elk this year. We still looked into all the draw odds and the success rates. Well, not so much units. draw odds. We did, though, for first rifle. Yeah. We, we well, briefly, we briefly looked at it. Yeah, exactly. Because they didn't match up with our schedule. Yeah, so we basically fell back on the over-the-counter archery tag. Yeah, so our over-the-counter archery tag is an area we've been to before. So we know we're going to do the hunt this year a little different. So much more different than we've ever done it before. Yeah, we're going to pack in, set up camp in the woods instead of, you know, a pre-existing state forest campsite. So that's going to change our hunt dramatically. <laughs> also, I, I don't know English very well. <laughs> Dramatically. It's hard to learn and you, read there. You heard it first here on the Muley Brigade podcast. And I can't even say brigade. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatically. So if we can, this just goes to show you, if we can do the research and kill animals, you should be listening to this like, man, if these guys can do it, you know yeah, that your 10-year-old son can probably do this. <laughs> yeah. And do it better. <laughs> yeah, and better. Probably shoot bigger animals than us. Yeah. So, so now, let's go ahead and get into how we e-scout. Ben, you want to jump in on that? E-scouting. I mean, you can look up videos online. It's not too hard. Uh, we use a couple of different online resources to our advantage. We use a lot of Google Earth. And then the state atlases for the states we want to hunt, which those are really helpful because most of them have overlays, especially Colorado and Wyoming, which are two primary states, have overlays for all the units. 
and just watch out because some states like Wyoming, they'll have different deer units than antelope units and different elk units than antelope or deer units. So just make sure you're on the right map for the right species that you want to hunt. But in Colorado, all the game management units are the same, so it makes it a lot easier. And then you just have to go mess with the overlays. And with Colorado, you can do winter migration corridors, summer concentrations, winter concentrations, and just make sure you have the right species, and it'll show you those key movement points throughout the year. So something I found out with, I downloaded Google Earth, and on each state website, so for example, Colorado, you can download all the overlays to go into Google Earth. All of it's free and 100% accurate, in our opinion, as far as we know, from what we've experienced the year before in the unit that we're hunting. And with that, we downloaded the GMU maps, the uh, overlays that Finn was talking about to include the elk... Uh, Migration corridors. Migration corridors, the reproduction area. Yeah, sorry, I had a brain fart there. And all of those things going to help us choose our new spot, basically, for the year. Or it's, it's not really a new spot. It's further away from the people as we could get. Yeah, we're looking for where the animals are going to get pressured to. So when people are coming up off the road or you know, in the woods surrounding the road, where these these elk are going to get pushed to, or where we think they're going to get pushed to. Yeah. And we're obviously looking for food sources, water sources, and everything in between that. Yeah, cover, feed, all that good stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty much how we go about doing our e-scouting, you know. We look for the holes, or the canyons, the draws, where we think they're going to hold, and hide out from the general public of the hunters. Yeah, and a good way to do that is to mark your roads. Mark your roads and mark your maintained trails. That way, if you have those marked, you can overlay those on Google Google Earth and find out. And you can even use like some of the features on Google Earth and find out how, how far exactly you're getting away from each road. That way you know uh, if there's hunters coming off this road to the south, there's hunters coming off this road to the north and whatever. You can find where the animals are most likely going to get pushed. And if that area has food, cover, uh, water source, water sources, that's going to be a pretty good place to start your scouting once you actually get on the ground. Yeah, and the way we kind of went about it this year is we looked at the areas we were in before where we had seen elk even during the season last year and realized that they're getting pushed from a cert- two certain directions on that. And so we decided on an area that's pretty thick and nasty, and a lot of people aren't going to want to walk that. Yeah, it's also a two-and-a-half-hour walk Yeah, from where we were parking the truck last year. So our camp spot that we've talked about so far is right now at like three-fourths of a mile in. And then the spots that we've talked about hitting are two-and-a-half miles roughly from parking the truck. Yeah, so that's going to cut our travel time in the morning and evenings down significantly, which is key. And I guess, like, the big thing is there is not making an hour-and-a-half, two-and-a-half-hour walk in the dark or early morning. Or the rain. Or the rain. Because it's miserable. Yeah, I guess we could just hunker down in the tent. Yeah. 
sweatshop in there. <laughs> so that's how we go about our e-scouting. You guys got anything else to add to that? No. Yeah. All right. So now that we've talked about the research of the tags, the e-scouting, let's talk about actually putting boots on the ground. For boots on the ground, this year we're going to do a little different than last year. Last year we used a lot of trail cameras and really didn't use the paper maps or anything to mark our areas up as well as we should have, in my opinion. We were just going off of... Not only that, we have GPS. Oh, we didn't use that that well either. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah, we didn't mark anything. So, this year we're going to get some maps. We're still going to utilize the GPS. We'll have trail cams out just because they're at our disposal and we can use them just to see what's in there. But this year I kind of just want to grid it out and hit certain areas each time we scout so we can really hone in on what that area has to offer as far as game trails, um, you know, bogs or wallows, bedding in areas, there, creeks, bedding areas, feed, yeah. water, all that. All that. Mark that off on the map. And then after a few scouting trips, we should have the, you know, probably three mile, four mile radius, the area that we really want to centralize in, marked up so well that first day of season, we know where we're going to try to be at, at first light, and see what's going on. And then from there, we can mark off areas. Uh, if they're not getting any action or we have game trails marked on our GPS that were hit heavy in the summer, but now season started and there's no tracks on them and there's nothing, no rubs, we can say, okay, they're obviously not using this on to the next. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of things you should be looking for when you're actually out there. The ones, you know, rubs on trees, wallows, areas that they congregate to, feed to, and then water sources. Because you're going to know that they're going to hit those areas hard. Yeah, yeah, last few years in Colorado, it's been pretty warm during archery. So water's huge. So water, food, something in close proximity with uh, security. So these animals feel safe. Kind of like that. When they're in the rut, they're not really eating that much. Well, bulls aren't. No, but they'll be drinking water. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and our... Uh... Hunt last year was relatively early. This year we're going in peak rut or as close to peak rut as we can. So we're going to have the maps and we're going to have all this written down, but for the most part we're going to go off of calling. Yeah, we're going to try to locate with bugles and cow calls. We're also probably going to get to see pretty much every phase of the cycle for elk this year. The weekends before we'll be able to go up and... See, you know, just at least familiarize with what they're doing. Yeah, except we are going to take the muzzleloader season off yeah. because we don't really like to be out there with the Orange Army. Yeah. So. But by then, you know, we're taking that literally that evening of the end of uh, muzzleloader, and we are heading up for what we hope is the peak rut. Yep, and we'll spend seven days chasing up. Central Colorado. If I can get these guys to learn how to elk call just a little bit better. So right. we're getting there. We're not perfect. Sorry, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I forgot nobody has ever made a mistake before. <laughs> That's kinda how we're gonna do our, our boots on the ground together this year. Literally gonna mark everything we see.
Yep. It's going to be a long process and probably a few camping trips. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a couple because we, we are also, side note, trying to pull an archery antelope tag in a unit north of where we'll be elk hunting where there's a lot more BLM and it's flatter land. So we'll probably go up there once we figure out what we actually drew and see uh, how the antelope situation is because yeah. yeah, when the elk aren't there, you shoot yourself an antelope, right? <laughs> We're opportunists here. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a that'll be a new hunt, but yeah, that'll for be later. A, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean we see a ton of antelope during the rifle season, so there probably won't be a single one there when we're trying to kill them. Shock typical. Yeah. Alright guys, so we've talked about researching the tags, e scouting, and then boots on the ground. And now we're gonna talk about weapons. And with that process, we're going to talk about getting your weapon ready and being comfortable and making a good choice on whatever caliber of rifle you're using or broadheads. Yeah, so weapons, it's pretty, not nothing too crazy about it. It's personal preference for the most point, or for the most part. Uh, as far as archery, I mean, you're going to go, if you don't have a bow, then you're gonna go get yourself a bow. If you do, you're gonna stick with the one you have. But pick one that you like that's comfortable to you. And there's so many aftermarket parts, stabilizers, rests. I mean, you couldn't go through them all. So just get what you have. And as far as broadheads go and all that, there's mechanicals, fixed blades. Pick whatever suits you and it's best for the job. So do a little research on your broadheads. See what people have been saying about them. Because you might have a broadhead you really like, but the performance on it just sucks. So you might want to consider switching. But as far as us, I mean, we have a variety of different bows. I mean, I shoot a PSE. Griffin shoots a bear. Yep. Brom, you shoot PSE. Yeah, I got a PSE. PSE. And then we all shoot different broadheads, like I shoot the Rage Extreme 3 blades, which I really like. They're really accurate for my bow, and what I've read on them, they're deadly, so. Yeah, I shoot <coughs> Hellraiser broadheads, so I'm thinking about making a change this year, not based on the performance, just preference and what I've read on other broadheads. Um, yeah, I'm shooting Hellraiser broadheads, I like them. Yeah. They shoot for my bow real nice. You also have, um, what's the other kind you got? Montag G5s? Yeah. Yeah, all that aside, it's more important. Doesn't matter what's on your bow, what you fix it with. It's a not too much on the broadheads. It's all about accuracy. You're going to need to practice before the season and practice with different positions. You know, you, most of the time you're not just going to be standing and ready to go like you would at the range. So, you know, kneel down. Practice shooting in these awkward positions that you usually don't shoot at so that you're prepared because you never know where you're going to be at when an elk walks by at 30 yards, but you're going to have to be able to perform that shot or you have the risk of losing the animal. Not only that, make sure your bow or rifle is set up correctly. I ran into the last year buying a bow and getting it set up, it was set up completely wrong. My arrows were cut wrong, wasn't set up to my draw length correctly. And so 
uh, whenever we would go to the range, I was I was great with uh, field tips. As soon as we switched from field tips to broadheads and practicing with those, you could see how off it was. It would I would aim at a spot and it would shoot ten yards different. Everybody's like, oh no, no, it's just you. Then you start seeing the kick that it has and everything. That's this is something that I think is important. It's going not going alone, but taking somebody with you so they can visually see if it's if it's your mechanics or if it's actually the setup. For me, it was a it was a setup and. The arrow was too long for the draw length that was set on the bow. And so it was kicking off and it was shooting two feet to the right or two feet to the left. And it was just, <clears throat> it got down to crunch time and it was making me pretty nervous. So I'd take it in and get it looked at again and got it set up right before the season. So just make sure that it's good to go on, on that end before you leave out for a hunt. Yeah, always side in your broadheads. That's probably one of the most overlooked things in archery, I think. Besides not practicing enough and being comfortable with your setup and your range is not practicing with your broadheads. It doesn't matter if it's <clears throat> with your fixed blades. Yeah, they're, they tend to be more off than your field points, but even with your mechanicals, you know, they're supposed to be true to field tip, but still practice with those mechanicals. Usually most companies will give you a practice tip with your mechanicals, so that you don't have to mess up your uh, blades. So that's what I'd say. I'd say just practice with uh, with your broadheads because I know when I shot Hellraisers before that I'd always shoot about three inches low and four inches to the right. But with field tips, I'd be dead on. So you always just have to account for every factor. Yeah, you know, we practiced. Well, I was able to get out probably four times a week for a few months leading up to to the season practice is key that's how you get to know your equipment uh, fine-tune your mechanics which is key I mean if you don't go practice and you get out in the field you know you're gonna panic you know buck fever is gonna take over and who knows where that arrow's going and where we're going we may not see that many elk so we can't really be afford to taking bad shots and missing shots we, we should be making. Yeah, it should be second nature. I mean, once you, if you're calling in a bull or a bull stepping out, you should not be thinking anything about the mechanics of you drawing back or anything like that. Uh, you're, especially with your release, a lot of people tend to accidentally tap their release and release their arrow before they're ready to. But if you practice enough and you practice, you know, whatever helps you not put your finger on the release, because most, a lot of them are hair triggers, to be honest. You just tap them and they go. What I like to do is put my finger behind the trigger of the release when I pull back. And if you practice enough, that's going to be second nature. should just be good mechanics at that point. It should be what you know and how you feel every time. Yeah. So that way you can make a good ethical shot. And same with your rifles, you know. Uh, you're going to want to be able to get on your rifle, have your cheek, cheek rest and everything set up perfect and the way you're, you're going to do your hold and everything, all, that, all the mechanics should be out of your mind. All you're focusing on is the animal and where you want to shoot. And after that, everything's history because you know I'm not going to have my finger on the trigger. And you know that whether your safety's on or off. I've gotten to the point where I've shot so much 
that my I always have my safety on in the field, even when I'm coming up to animals. And by the time you know buck fever takes over, or whatever, I get up on the sticks or I lean up against the tree, and I'll click that safety off, not even not even thinking about it. It'll be off, ready to go. Once I'm on the animal, the safety comes off, finger on the trigger, ready to shoot. Yeah, that's how everybody should be. So it was a learning process for me last year. Never having gamed in my sights before. Going through the proper mechanics of shooting, you know, I would just want to be like, oh, the crosshairs are on, boom, shoot. That's not how it's supposed to go. <laughs> That's terrible. And I had to learn, and eventually I got better. I still had a slip up towards the end of the year, and it took a, what I, I consider it's a bad shot. So, but just take your time, get your breathing down, focus on how you're going to pull the trigger, and be calm. And that's, that, that, that's my advice to people shooting with rifles. Everyone looking at me because I miss a lot of shots with my rifle. <laughs> Why do you miss a lot of shots with your rifle? I don't trust my gear. Uh, and that has got to do with... I didn't get out to shoot a lot this year. That has got to change. Got to change. Yeah. You have to trust your equipment. Make ethical shots. I just want to throw this out there. I was hunting with probably the worst scope that anybody's ever hunted with. And I was doing better than the guy with the $200 scope. That's debatable. Yeah. It's not totally debatable. How many shots did you miss at the end of the year? I missed maybe five or six shots. In one day? or Track total. I only missed four. Yeah, I try to avoid the misses. Because... It's gonna happen. Some though. of them can be clean, but most of them aren't. Yeah. So. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what else to say on that. Biggest that's, thing is just proper big, mechanics. Yeah. That's, know your range as well. Yeah. Just get out, practice, get comfortable. Yeah. Shoot your stuff. Find a caliber of gun that fits you. Don't shoot a cannon like some people in this group. Me. <laughs> yeah. Short barreled cannon. <laughs> So let's, let's move on here. We're going to go into a little bit of our, more into our elk hunt as far as the gear we're planning to take on our packs because obviously this is the first time I'm going, well, I've been on hunts before where I've stayed the night, but I haven't really yeah, backpacked yeah. in to stay a extended period of time. So this is going to be kind of a new venture for me as far as getting the pack weight right and what exactly to bring, how to break it down to where you're bringing the bare minimums that's going to get you by day to day for the whole trip and not make you carry a 110 pound pack into the woods because you're not going to make it. Good news is though, you're only carrying it one way in and then one way out. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, obviously if you get an animal, it's going to be a lot more than that, but that at that point it's completely worth it. Yeah, the biggest worry for me is food. Cause I Absolutely. <laughs> We're used to having pre-cooked meals and eating like kings when we go hunting. We pretty much eat better when we go hunting than we do at home. Yeah, we like to stay fueled. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely eat better in the woods than I eat at home. So, that's going to be a huge game changer for us. We're going to go from eating full course meals with dessert in our sleeping bags to... <laughs> uh, to um, Some freeze-dried mountain house. Yeah. Yeah. Ramen noodles. Freeze dry, beef jerky, stuff like Ramen that. Ramen noodles, beef jerky, favorite almonds. Yeah. Cut, oh. Cutting it down. 
My trail mix consists of only M&M's. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we got to figure out what we absolutely need and how much we're willing to carry it. Yeah, and the key point, which we'll probably keep you updated on this, that way anybody knew, but I think the pack list, I've made pack lists before, just this, that's the best way to go about any hunt is to have your pack list. That way, you know, you start making your pack list, you yeah, know, a couple out. weeks out. And you can add to it. So you can, you start it off and you put all the major things. You know, you put, don't forget your bow. Don't forget, you know, your arrows. <laughs> Need the your range finder. <laughs> stuff like that. And you'll add food in there and stuff. And then you can keep adding on because you might forget something when you're initially writing it down. And then you'll be thinking through your gear list and you'll be like, oh, what about flagging tape? What if I get something and I have to flag it so I know... You know, if it has to stay overnight, I can start at the exact same point I did if I don't have a GPS. Talking about the flag tape, make sure you put it where you can actually see it. I yeah. made the mistake last year putting it where I couldn't see it and got lost to my spot three or four times. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory to put it where you see it, but not for everybody, I guess. <laughs> so, just throwing that out there. I thought I could see it, then I could So, with, with the gear, we're talking... Our food sources, uh, how we're going to cook our food, yeah. uh, Wait, water food. filter so that we get water. Because you're not going to pack a ton of water in. No. It's just not going to happen. You're going to have to figure out how to get a water while you're out there. Yeah, I'll probably pack in that day's water with some empty, uh, Yeah. like those five-gallon jugs you can get that are collapsible. Bring a couple of those, get up there, set up camp, and go find water. And just keep, you know, ten gallons water at the camp. You know, on the flip side of that, you need to make sure you have game bags, knives, and all that stuff so you can process your game and get it ready to go. Uh, those are essentials when you're out there hunting. And good game bags. Good game bags, yes. You can buy the cheap game bags, but they're not really going to help you that much because uh, they're cheap. You can throw them on the game, but the openings, because they're, they're stitched a certain way, and the openings on the cheap ones still let flies and bugs and stuff lay eggs in your meat. You're going to want to, even though it sucks because, you know, some some of the game bag packs can be, you know, 50 bucks. But at the end of the day, if it's going to save the meat, that's why you're hunting anyways. So spend the extra money, get you a set of good game bags so that you can minimize meat loss if it comes to that. Because sometimes, you know, Especially in September elk hunting, it's going to be hot and you're going to have limited time to get the meat out. So if you can preserve it, keep it from getting, from moisture and stuff like that and the bugs, it's going to help you out a lot in the end. Absolutely. And on the other side of that, what, what essentials do you need? You know, you're going to need underwear while you're out there. You're going to need socks. Toilet paper. Toilet paper. Baby wipes. And rain gear. Yeah, rain gear. Which brings us to a great point. I didn't have any rain gear when we went in last year. Had to buy some when we went in town to shower because there was rain in the forecast that day. That was poor preparation on my point. But I wasn't the dumbest out of the group. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I just kind of grabbed my rain gear, threw it in my pack, stayed there. Uh, we were out late season, and it was kind of snowing, raining, sleeting. Break out the, the rain gear, throw it on. And it's brown. <laughs> <laughs> Looking like an elk walking around with a bow. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> Make sure your colors are not representing of game. That's the last thing you want to do. Yeah. Luckily, we weren't out there with the Orange Army. Yeah. Getting ready to shoot anything they've seen. Lucky for you. Yeah. <laughs> and we were the only ones in that area except for a grouse hunter. Yeah, that's why. That's what it helps when you get back in there. It's not you're not going to run into a lot of people most of the time. That, most that's, of the time. That's what you should strive for, because that's when you're going to usually find the game. Yeah. Usually. <clears throat> yeah. Now we've talked about it. We're not going to see shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll probably go out there. You know, bring a little fishing kit. You know, catch some brook trout because there's going to be no elk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we might starve a little bit. So. It's also a plus. There's a creeks nearby that hold a couple brook trout. You might want to bring, you know, just a little Altoid box, put a couple hooks in there, some lime. Dig up some worms. Dig up some worms. This is something some, we actually did last year in between morning hunts and afternoon hunts. Yeah, it's fun. Something yeah. to do. Break up the monotony of not seeing any elk. Absolutely. Well, some of us. Uh, um, <laughs> I forgot when I had a filled tag in my pocket. Oh, wait. That was all of us. Yeah, right? Huh. That's pretty much gear in a nutshell. You guys get anything else for that? No. Yeah. So, with that, we've already talked about the pack list. That's basically the preparation point where you start adding what you need, absolutely need, and so on and so forth. Finally, we're going to talk about when we're going to start scouting this season. Yeah, so we should probably take a new approach to scouting this year and kind of use that time to practice hiking in. Getting in shape. Yeah. Yeah, set, finding a finding a campsite. That's And some people out of state, you know, if you're out of state, you're not going to be able to do that. But if you do the e-scouting, you'll have a, an easier time finding. But since we're in state, we might as well take advantage of it. So this will give us time to mark the trails, find the wallows, and also find a good camping spot because... I'm not a fan of camping somewhere a mile away from water and I got to go filter water and then walk a mile back with jugs of water in my hand. So we're probably going to want to camp fairly close to a stream for at least water source and if we do get something, when we bring it back to camp, we're all bloodied up and stuff like that, we have a place to wash off. Yeah, and we're also looking... Somewhere close proximity to where we want to hunt, but at the same time not so close. We kind of want to knock our morning trip down to 30 minutes, 45 minute max. So it gives us max time to, to sleep, but also make sure we're in there before the action starts, before the elk start talking in the morning. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm ready to go after just talking about it, so... I don't really have anything else on that point. Yeah, we'll start scouting probably May. I mean, some people do it all year long, but where we go elk hunting, there's they get a lot of snow, so yeah, they migrate out. We've we've been out there before, you know, February time frame stuff like that, and we're talking. I just walked off the road once, and I was up. To my shoulders in snow. Could barely get back up on the road. So it's just not beneficial to us. And we also have turkey season, which you can't forget about. <laughs> Spring turkeys. So we'll be pursuing turkeys. 
for the months prior to May. So May is going to be when we'll actually start getting out there and uh, marking up the maps. Yeah. Also, the elk are just aren't where we're going to be hunting in February. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've migrated out, so there's not really any point of locating elk for September hunt in February, March time frame. I mean, you might find that bull that's still in the sanctuary, but that's about it. Yeah, and chances of being on public huntable land, pretty slim. Yeah, they're all down low. So with that being said, we went over researcher tags, e-scouting, boots on the ground, weapons, gear, packless, and the start of the scouting season. You guys got any closing thoughts for these folks? No, I don't have any closing thoughts. Just know your stuff. Uh, be comfortable with your uh, your weapons. Know your gear. Pack only the essentials and toilet paper. Ben? Now that pretty much goes over kind of an overview of getting ready to go for the season. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Facebook, Mealy Brigade. Also, I have a Twitter now. If you don't know about that, it's Mealy Brigade and an Instagram. Same thing. I mean, you're going to see a trend there. If you just type in Mealy Brigade, you'll probably find us. Yeah. So, just good luck next season and tune in next time. Yeah. So, the only thing I've got, looking forward to hopefully getting to go to Montana for the special CWD hunt that we have. Tags for holding out hope that those folks that are in Montana didn't kill the quota of deer, so don't, if you're in Montana, don't go shoot a deer in Sage Creek CWD hunt. Other than that, email us if you have any questions at muleybrigade at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.